Welcome to the Real Women Run podcast, where we take an insider look at the daring women shaking up Utah's political landscape. This season, we're taking you behind the scenes of what it's like to serve in municipal and county government in Utah. We're your hosts, Yandari Chatwin and Nina Barnes. I live in Salt Lake County, where I serve as vice chair of the Salt Lake County Redistricting Commission, and I'm the past chair of the nonpartisan initiative Real Women Run. And I'm the Vice Chair of the Utah System of Higher Education and a former elected official from Southern Utah. We both serve on the Real Women Run Board and help direct the work of this great organization. We're so glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome to Episode 6, the last episode of our first season of the Real Women Run podcast. In this podcast, we are introducing you to the current Salt Lake County Clerk, Sherry Swenson, and one of the former County Clerk Auditors for Utah County, Amelia Powers Gardner. Both of these women have experience running elections for Utah's two largest counties and have worked to improve access to the ballot for Utahns. Although election season is the time of year we are most aware of the work a county clerk does, both the Utah County and Salt Lake County clerk positions are full-time jobs. In addition to overseeing elections, the county clerk also oversees the Passport and Marriage License Division, among many other duties. Our first guest is Sherry Swenson, who has served as the Salt Lake County Clerk since 1991. Throughout her career, she has been dedicated to increasing voter registration and voter turnout in Salt Lake County. In addition to her day-to-day duties as county clerk, Clerk Swenson has also worked with lawmakers to update legislation in the state, including updating marriage laws to better protect children and creating policy that better protects voter information. A lifelong Utah resident, Clerk Swenson lives in Sandy and is a mother and a grandmother. We just wanted to have a conversation today, a little bit about what you do and what it looks like to be the Salt Lake County Clerk. We'd like to start off with your just sharing a little bit about yourself. I have been in my office since 1991. I oversee the election, marriage, passports, council clerks for Salt Lake County. So I have all of those divisions and it's a very busy position, as you can imagine. A major part of it, of course, is administering the elections for Salt Lake County. It is rewarding because we handle all the voter registration. I've had a lot of opportunities to do outreach, to empower people to vote. When I first took office in 1991, there was no outreach being done to get people to register to vote. And I started going out and setting up vote-by-mail programs and also just applications in post offices and libraries and grocery stores so people could register to vote. We didn't have the internet in those days, and so there wasn't an opportunity for people to go online and register to vote, and it was a lot more difficult for people to get the information and register to vote, and it's evolved, thank goodness. It has made it so much more accessible and started to implement a vote-by-mail program The state law allowed me to do a permanent vote-by-mail program, and people then could apply to get their ballot in the mail. They had to have an excuse to vote by mail until the law changed. But nevertheless, it grew from just a few thousand people who were on an absentee vote-by-mail program to now where we have a system, which is vote-by-mail. 
So we mail a ballot to every active registered voter without them having to apply. So it has changed dramatically. And I'm so thrilled because in our last election, we had a record turnout in the November general election of an over 90% turnout of active registered voters, unprecedented. And plus, we'd had an increase of over 100,000 active registered voters compared to the 2016 election. And that was because of our vote by mail program. Had we not had vote by mail, we would have never seen that kind of turnout. It certainly looks by your body of work that the fundamental belief you have about the voters has certainly been at the forefront of a lot of your service and initiatives. Would you mind talking a little bit more, though, about your personal life? I now live in Sandy for the last, I'm going to say about 28 years, have resided in Sandy. I have eight grandchildren. and. It's a lot of fun being with my grandchildren. I have two sons, and it is so rewarding to be able to been able to have some of my grandchildren involved with some of my endeavors. When I was running for office, for example, some of them did parades with me. That was a lot of fun as a candidate. However, my, my work has kept me so busy, so many hours working. I wish I'd had more time to be involved with the grandchildren. I know I've spent a lot of time, I remember my granddaughter when she was a lot younger saying, can I stay overnight? And I'd say, oh, I'm sorry, I have to work. And so there's been a lot of sacrifice because the county clerk job is very much hands-on. It isn't a figurehead. It is so much hands-on and so much work during this last election, probably more work than I've ever seen, even in the previous years, which has always been busy. But I, one of my favorite stories is I answered an email from a voter. And of course, a lot of my work can be done now from home, but it was 10.39 p.m. And I answered an email for this voter and he said, is this a human? <laughs> and uh, I said, yes, actually, I'm the county clerk. And, and comparatively, that was early. I was actually working from home, logging in at eight o'clock in the morning and signing off at 12.1 to 3.14 a.m just trying to get the registration forms in, answering people's emails. And you got to keep in mind, too, a lot of these people are overseas voters, and so their hours are totally different. And they were emailing at all different hours of the night. And here I was at my computer at all these crazy hours trying to get all of these things processed. So the workload for a county clerk is incredibly busy and hard. And that's the kind of dedication it really needs. So with that, let me ask you, what is a typical day or a typical week look like for you as a clerk? And how do you balance that work life? I think it depends at what point in time in the year or the election cycle we're in. Um, last year, we had three elections. We had the presidential primary in March. We had the June primary. And then, of course, we had the November election. So... It was really an extremely busy year last year. Normally, we have two elections a year. Uh, this year, for example, we are having an August primary and a November election. And in 1995, when I had been fairly new in office, I decided it would be a good idea. It's not my statutory duty to conduct elections in the odd-numbered years for the municipalities. It's my statutory duty to conduct elections in even-numbered years, countywide elections. But I decided for consistency, I should offer contracts for the cities. 
And so in 1995, I did so, and we had three cities come on board, and then it snowballed. Now we conduct elections for all the municipalities, the local service districts. And so this year, being an odd-numbered year, I'm doing contract options, and we're conducting elections for 18 cities, five metro townships, and 14 local districts. So we work constantly together to make decisions about running the elections, and then we have staff meetings. An average day, depending on what we're doing, for instance, yesterday, we had a meeting with our equipment vendor. We had a personnel meeting and numerous things to go over, how many things to order, for example, on various forms. It just depends on where we're at in the cycle. So the workload is different from day to day. It's never boring. I can tell you that. For example, we are constantly working on legislative issues this year. I asked Senator Iwamoto to sponsor a bill. So if there's an uncontested city council contest, we're not sending out a ballot with just one name on the ballot because it costs thousands of dollars to do that. We're working with legislative research on that change in our legislation and in the law. Let's talk a little bit about how the previous experiences in your life, your work, your school, your family, your upbringing, how those things have prepared you to run and serve in the office as clerk? As far as my upbringing, I think back about always being engaged in watching the news with my dad, especially. He was always interested in what was happening in the world. And so I think that kind of piqued my interest early on about being concerned. And I think it's important for young people. I know many times I've gone out and done presentations to classes for even grade school. And it's amazing to speak to young people and tell them how important it is to vote and how important it is to get involved. And they ask the best questions. <laughs> they are so engaged, even on a first grade level. And then I get wonderful notes back from them saying that they are going to be interested in voting when they turn of age to vote. And I think it has an impact on them. As far as impacting my life, as I was raising my family, I didn't have as much time to be interested in it at that point in time. Later on, friends that I became involved with, that's how I got involved in it. And then I was asked to work at the Democratic headquarters. And I took the job at the Democratic headquarters and worked as an administrative assistant at the Democratic headquarters for five years. And when they approached me to run, for office. I had seen so many candidates running for office and how consumed they were. And I thought, oh, I don't know. But they, a group of elected officials asked me to run for office. And that's how I ended up running for office for county clerk. They were looking for a candidate and a lot of the county elected officials approached me to run for office. And that's how I ended up in the office that I'm in over 30 years ago. And to be honest, I didn't know exactly what all it entailed. I'd had experience with helping. I, I knew some of the statutes. I'd helped other counties prepare for conventions. I knew some of the laws that pertain to candidacy and so on. But I didn't know what all it entailed. And when I walked in to my office, I had a lot to learn. And it took a lot of dedicated hours and work to get up to speed to do the job. So talking about that, what advice would you give to other women, especially women who are wanting to become more involved or more engaged in the political process? 
it is so important for women to become involved and to get into the political process. I think the representation by women is so valuable. The advice I would give them is to not be fearful of doing that and to look into the offices that are available and just see what they feel they could make a difference in. I knew I could make a difference in being a county clerk and doing the outreach and getting people to register to vote. I could see that there was a lack in that. And I think if women look at those offices and find out and figure out how they can make a difference and what is lacking, I think they'll find that there is definitely a place for them. I appreciate that. And obviously, we at Real Women Run really support that notion and that belief and that that representation really does matter when we have different parties and particularly genders at the table. So with that, tell me a little bit, how has your lens as being a female and impacted your work or prioritized the work you do at the focus of the initiative and things? You know, if you read again on my bio, one of the first things that you see is I'd been in office only three months and the situation occurred where a young 14-year-old was brought from Texas and a, a marriage ceremony performed to a 56-year-old man and are allowed for that. And I don't know if that had just gone unnoticed, apparently by other counties, but I was, I had to perform that ceremony and the appointment was made in my office. And as a woman and as a mother, I was so distraught over that situation. I wanted to grab her and run down the hall and say, we can't do this. The mother had given permission. The law at that time only required the consent of a parent, no court intervention or whatever. And so that was a huge impact. I immediately went forth and had a bill sponsored and it went forth in the next session. And it then required at least an interview with a juvenile court judge to make sure that child in that situation wasn't being coerced into a marriage. And I think the fact that I was a woman and that occurred in my office, I saw that firsthand. And I had other county clerks call me after that and say, Sherry, when are you going to get that law changed? Because they'd already seen it. And it had occurred many times throughout the state over the years. That was one way that being a woman made a difference. And me seeing that firsthand. And then the law evolved even further. And I was able to work on that change throughout the years. And so a 14-year-old, thank goodness, as of 1999, could no longer get married in the state of Utah. And it requires a lot more. Even now, a 15-year-old can't get married as it was changed to that in 1999, but it required a judge to give permission and then a bill was sponsored. So even a 17-year-old has to have a judge's permission. So our law drastically changed. There was no protection previously. Women need to feel that they can have the confidence to be in an elected office and do the job without being fearful of that. That just is a spot on example and such a powerful story and uh, a way to use your position to influence in a situation that may have been overlooked. With that, I really like the piece of influencing legislation because it's easy for us just to do our jobs. But with our unique lenses, when we see something that doesn't feel right, to go the extra step and do the work to make sure that we correct that in the future. With that, I want to talk a little bit about what has being elected done for you personally and then for your family. Being elected does give, <clears throat> gives you an opportunity to have a voice. And, and in giving 
a pathway to work with other elected officials to be able to make changes. I don't think I would have been able to think as a citizen that I would have been able to see something and make the changes that I felt might be necessary had I not been able to have that interaction in working with other elected officials. So it definitely has given me a pathway to do that. I mean, citizens can always go to their legislators and ask for bills to be sponsored, but I wouldn't have realized that had I not been in an elected position. I think that made me realize how you could get things done and make changes. So that was definitely a benefit. As far as my family, I'm not sure other than them seeing my example and them being proud of the things that I've been able to do. And I think it's had an impact on them as realizing how important it is, you know, how precious democracy is, how precious our right to vote is. I see my grandchildren as they've turned 18 and register to vote immediately. I don't know if that would have been the case had it not been for my position. So we have a whole variety of people who will be listening to this podcast. What would you say to them as they look at their future and look at civic involvement and these things? What would you generally say to those listening? It is so crucial, especially now, that we look at our democracy, our precious right to vote, and that we do everything we can to protect it that we reach out to our lawmakers and to our elected officials and make sure that they are doing the things they need to do to protect our rights. If you're not in a position of being an elected official, that you make your voices heard because I know they pay attention. With that, is there anything else you would like to say as we close or finish up? No, just that I have really appreciated. I've felt so honored to be able to serve. It's really an honor. It's a great opportunity for me to be able to do and, and serve as a county clerk. It's a lot of hard work, but I've been very honored to be able to do the, the job as county clerk. And so I've appreciated the fact that people have elected me time and time again. I'm very appreciative and, and thank you very much. Thank you so much, Sherry Swinson. It's been a pleasure to visit with you. We appreciate your mentorship and your leadership in the state. It was really incredible to hear from County Clerk Swenson, in part because I keep thinking about all the changes that she has had a hand in over 30 years. There wasn't really internet access accessible in 1991, and it's incredible to see how far things have come in the time she's been in office. And her intentional role in changing some of that was really interesting. Later in the interview, she mentioned to look at areas where there's growth or things you can do. And I certainly thought she shared with us how she felt about the voter registration and how intentional she was in the outreach and in getting it more accessible for people to vote, whether through mail-in voting or the high school voting registration. I, I just thought it was very intentional that she saw a need and a problem and it sounds like that has just been a focal point over her last 30 years in improving. Absolutely. I really appreciated you asking her how her lens as a female in this office had made a difference. And oh my goodness, that story she shared of the 14-year-old girl, that's heartbreaking. But the fact that she was able to make a change, I think of how many other 14-year-olds she may have protected by taking that action. And mentioning also that other clerks had similar situations 
and just not thought or followed through with that legislation, but just as a female, how important that was to see that, recognize it, and then follow through and making sure the law was changed and that our laws have evolved because public servants and others have brought it forward. Which, my goodness, that was my boy to think that this has been happening and people had noticed but hadn't done anything about it. And you said that from the whole interview with her, the serious way she takes this responsibility, that it truly is a stewardship that she feels she took on when she was elected to do this job. No, it's true. I really admired and actually chuckled a little bit (laughs) when she was talking about how her duty was to provide assistance with the running elections in certain years. And it wasn't her duty to do it in the other years, but she decided that was the right thing to do. And this year she's helping to run elections in, I think she said 18 municipalities. I missed the number specifically, but the fact that she saw something that was the right thing to do, and even though it wasn't technically in the job description, technically under her purview, she saw a need and she got it done. Even though it meant forward for herself, she saw something that was the right thing to do. And I bet you it's making a really big difference for voters here in Salt Lake County. Absolutely. It was also really interesting to hear about some of the parts of her job that we don't think of. We know that county clerks oversee elections, obviously, but that example of the 14-year-old girl highlights a couple of areas. One, marriage licenses are run through the county clerks. Number two, she mentioned she spends a lot of her time working on legislative issues, whether it's something she's brought up or something that maybe someone's asked her to testify on. That's a big part of her role and something to consider if someone's looking to run for the specific office. What are your legislative relationships like? What are the things you're going to need to do to be able to represent your county and advocate at the legislative level as well? That's something we don't talk about often in public service, but what an opportunity that gives you to really understand issues and things across the state to really encourage and have an influence of public policy. No, absolutely. We think that it's legislators who impact legislation, and that's true, but elected officials at all levels do that as well. Important to keep in mind. And I guess that takes us back to what we started the conversation with is just talking about her intent on the voting process and just how phenomenal that is that she implemented all of those tools and all that outreach to get people registered to vote. But then at the end, she says, the major point of my service really has been that we now have a state law and we have a vote by mail system. And then she gave those stats of the numbers of people, 90% turnout of actions registered voters. What a claim to fame that is. Right. And the 100,000 new voters in the county, that is remarkable. And I think, like you said, a lot of this is due to her advocacy, to her efforts and her service to the county. She actually ended the podcast talking about that, saying she holds that right to vote, that precious right to vote. And her work shows that she really believes in that precious right to vote. And she's right. That was absolutely precious. As a resident of Salt Lake County, I'm so grateful for all the things she's done to make it so much easier to vote. Our state was leaps and bounds ahead of other jurisdictions in terms of voting by mail, making things easy. And during the pandemic, we saw other places scrambling to make elections more accessible. But Utah has been doing this for years, and it's 
do largely the people like Sherry Swenson advocating for those rights. I also really liked how she talked about her involvement. I think this is just a really great pathway that we don't often talk about. You know, one growing up with a father who's totally engaged, that's just such an endearing story. Then backed out a little bit to raise her family and then got back in with friends, getting involved in your party, working at the headquarters. And then all of a sudden people build confidence. They're looking for a candidate and someone said, hey, what about you? And uh, I thought that was such a great story. I thought it was really humorous that she said, having worked at the state party, she'd seen people around for office and she was <laughs> sure it was something she wanted to get into. But yeah. she also acknowledged that at the time she ran, she didn't actually know what the job entailed once she was in office. But look at what she's done. When we asked her about why it's important to have female representation, she talked about the great organizational skills that women usually have. She talked about not being fearful, which we know is a barrier for women. And then she said something I really liked. Look around at the offices that are available. Be really intentional and look out there at what's available. What are the needs? What are their shortcomings? And figuring out where is a place for you. Another thing I was thinking of is something we really didn't get into in the interview, but as the county clerk, she obviously oversees several other people and manages an entire department within the county structure. I don't know how big that department is or how many people, but that is something else that's important to consider for someone who's thinking about running for county clerk is that you are going to be working with a number of people and overseeing their work and really leading a team. That's such a great point, Yandri, and how she supervises others and that leadership. I have to say this interview, I really enjoyed because she really got into the day-to-day, what the job looked like and how she fulfilled that job. And I thought that made this interview really interesting. I appreciated how candid she was about the reality of balancing this really demanding job and her personal and family life, where sometimes she had to miss out on some family things because the duty to serve her county and her state was so strong and so compelling. We are so fortunate to be in 2021. Times have changed. This is 31 years ago when she started and the work-life balance just wasn't a focus like it is today. And I think in some areas we've made a lot of progress. I hope that continues for not just women, but for all of us, really. It just highlights that running for office really is a family decision. There are other people who are impacted by someone's decisions to run beyond just that person themselves. Such an honor to interview her and get that perspective. I totally admire the way she has run as the county clerk and served and the influences she has had beyond her county statewide. She's a remarkable woman. Definitely, Raina. Great interview. I interviewed our second guest, Commissioner Amelia Powers Gardner. Earlier this year, Commissioner Gardner became the first woman to serve on the Utah County Commission when she won a special election to fill a vacancy. Before that, she served as the first female county clerk auditor in Utah County's history. Prior to her public service, Commissioner Gardner worked in the private sector in engineering, manufacturing, and business development for 15 years. As county clerk and auditor, she worked to improve efficiency for Utah County elections. She and her husband live in Pleasant Grove with their six children. 
First, thank you so much, Commissioner Gardner, for making time to chat with us today. As I read about you online, I just got really excited to be able to spend a little bit of time getting to know a little more about your story. So the first question I've got for you is to tell us a little bit about who you are. So right now, I am a Utah County Commissioner. I am actually the first woman to ever serve in role. I was the Utah County Clerk Auditor in Utah County. That's a combined position. In actually, a lot of the counties in this thing, it's a combined position of clerk and auditor. Uh, prior to that, I was a business consultant. And before that, I worked in marketing and engineering positions at Caterpillar, the large equipment and diesel engine company. So I have a very technical background in automotive technology and in engineering with Caterpillar. I also happen to be the mother of six children. My husband, Tobin, and I combined, we have a total of six children. The oldest, we have two 15-year-old boys, and the youngest is we have a two-year-old Oh my goodness. I love how you casually just throw in. Oh, and also I have six children. <laughs> I'm raising. That's incredible. The background that you mentioned being so technical and engineering, that's amazing. I love that you were already trailblazing before even running for office. That's an area where you don't see a lot of women. How do you feel that the experiences you've had in your professional life helped prepare you to venture into this new frontier as a woman in elected office in Utah County? That's a fantastic question. It's funny that I've not been asked a question like that before, but it really has been asked a question because you're absolutely right. Going through school, as I was going through the analytic program, I was very, very the majority. I don't think there was ever a time that there was a lot of women in the class. But I, I really just got used to not even noticing, right? Through my college classes, if I wasn't the only female in the class, I was one of the only two females in the class. And so then I went to go work at Caterpillar after college. And it kind of learned, it was the same. I was in the engineering field. The vast majority of my coworkers and my bosses and uh, et cetera were men. It was actually the rare exception that there was another woman in my group. So I really just learned that no matter what I was, you have to prove yourself, but you can do it in a way that really goes along with everybody. In fact, one of my mentors, he's the first female vice president that Caterpillar ever had, and her name is Cheryl West. And Cheryl, used to say, get in, fit in, and redefine it. That's amazing. And she said that to me the summer between my junior and senior year before I even went full time. As I went through my career, I never pointed out that I was different than my peers. I just came in and I got in and I fit in. And then it was obvious to everyone else that I was the one woman in the room. And so it really wasn't an issue at first, but then I also had the ability to bring in women's touch. So I could get in, I could fit in with my peers, and then I could say, hey, you know what, guys? I've got a perspective that you haven't considered before. And they actually were incredibly welcoming to that perspective, especially because I had done the work necessary to get in. So coming into being an elected official in Utah County, when I was elected, I was also the first woman to ever be elected the clerk or the auditor, let alone the clerk auditor, because they used to be separate positions. So in the history of Utah County, there's never been a female clerk or a female auditor prior to me. They combined that position in, I think, the 80s, and there's never been a female clerk auditor. When I was elected, I was the only female in a county-wide office. So there had only ever been one woman elected to any county-wide office prior to me, and that was years ago. So when I came in, I would sit around the table during the elected officials meeting, and it was all men and me. But it wasn't an issue for me, because that's how my entire career began. That's amazing. And I can't believe no one's asked you that before, because <laughs> that's the first thing I thought of. <laughs> how did you decide that it was the right time to run? And then how did you decide that county clerk auditor was the right position for you to run for? 
I was politically active. I, I was working as a business consultant. I'd been politically active for years and I'm more of like a citizen activist. I would volunteer on campaigns, paid them a little bit of paid consulting work. But for the most part, I was a citizen activist. Even anyone who is involved in Utah politics and all, or at least was several years ago, knew that the elections office in Utah County was a mess. They were the last in the state to have results consistently. There were boxes of petition packets that got skipped and never counted. And it's just like there's a long list of things. And having an engineering background, going into business consulting, and I was a process person. So I actually set out to recruit someone else to run for this office. I mean, why did I know that someone needed to run for this office that can clean it up? And I actually spent months calling people saying, who's ready for doing a clerk? And people would say, I don't know what somebody needs to. So I called someone else like, would you run for clerk? And they're like, oh, that's a mess. I'm not going to touch that. But somebody, everybody knew that somebody needed to. And I literally spent months trying to recruit somebody to run for office. And it was literally the night before the filing deadline that I looked at my husband and I said, hey, you know what? Actually, it was my fiance at the time. I said, I think I need to leave. I think it needs to be me. You want to hear the worst part about the whole thing? Yes. Our wedding date was planned to be the day of community convention. Wait, goodness. <laughs> so I was like, hey, sweetheart, I think I need to run to hold the compass, take a giant pay cut, and we have to move our wedding. What do you say? What did he say? He, you know what? He said yes. He said, if that's what you want to do and that's what you feel like you need to do, then I absolutely support you. And I said, and that's why we're getting married. <laughs> that's incredible. He jumped in with both feet. So it's not like I set my sights out and I'm just like, when do I want to be? I want to be a surfer. It's not like it's the sexiest position that you could run for. But I saw a need and I saw that I had the skill sets to meet that need. And I think that's where a lot of women are needed. That's really the message. If you're looking at running for office, you've got skills. Where are your skills needed? That's where I think the most good. That's great. So once you got into the position, how did it go? Was it what you expected? Um, and what was a, a day like in, in that position as the Utah County clerk slash auditor? So I really think I should have vlogged my first hundred days. My first hundred days, when it was like starting out on a new project and having been a a business consultant, the first six months was a lot like the first six months of any major project. If they come in and you spend the first part of that learning what you don't know. So you're learning what you don't know. And then you start identifying where the issues are. And then you just problem solve issues. Because I came in life as if it was in dire need of improvement, it was very intense the first six months. Like I said, we had to spend every day learning what the office did and then what all the problems were, and then figuring out how to fix it, and then implementing those fixes. So the first six months are different than the rest. It's like 10 to 12 hour days, and I had a core team of people that I need to sit with. Now, it, it's not a small office. This is a different one where it's an administrative office. It's really not a political one. So you're there to, to do a job, and the parameters of that job are defined in state. And a lot of what you do is prescribed by state law. And really, all you get to decide is how you do it. But you don't even get to decide your budget because the county commissioners decide. That's just ascribed in state law, and your budget is set by somebody else, and then you've just got to figure out how to make that happen. And one of the interesting things about the job is I didn't actually have to do a lot of work myself. The majority of the work is done by the dedicated staff who work there, and they're fantastic. So as the clerk auditor, my job was primarily to 
set the vision for the office, motivate and coach the employees who did the work, and then ensure that they got the resources that they needed in order to do that job. It was really a shift from what I was used to doing. I spent a lot of time in culture and route. I spent a lot of time coaching employees saying, you've got skills, what skills do you need? Okay, maybe you're not really good at spreadsheets. So let's get you a spreadsheet class. Helping them identify what barriers were in the way to them being exceptional and then helping them get that. That's really great. I love that. So just for those who are listening who aren't familiar with the nature of these positions, is the Utah County Clerk Auditor a full-time position, part-time position? What does that look like? It is a full-time benefiting position. So at the county level, county offices tend to be full-time, with the exception of your, if your county has a county council. Oftentimes, council positions are part-time, but uh, commissioner positions, mayor positions, and then the other elected officials are typically full-time positions. You mentioned a couple of the other positions in the county that are full-time, and one of them is commissioner. And so I wanted to ask you, how did you decide that you had done what you came to do in the role of clerk auditor and it was time to jump into the next race for a seat on the county commission? You know, it, the, the process was very similar to the way I decided to it was there was a position that was open and I could see that I had the skill set needed in order to do that. We're facing unprecedented growth in Utah. We're one of the fastest growing counties in the country, and we're growing at such a rapid rate. We really need somebody who has the ability to be proactive rather than reactive. They can put into the future that has the ability to take projections and deduce outcomes and numbers. And my engineering background falls really well to that. The other part of that is we need somebody who has the ability to work really well with the other with the other areas of government and community stakeholders like the governor's office and the lieutenant governor with the state legislature and the cities. And as the clerk auditor, I did build really strong relationships with all the entities. And so I said it was the same year I decided to run the county clerk. It was, there was an opening that I had the skill set that I saw that the position needed. That's perfect. And I appreciate that you are able to acknowledge what you bring to the table too. I think often it's really hard for women to to do that, to look at the skills that they bring and to realize that they can be applicable in an elected position. So thank you for leading by example and being able to do that. Back to your time as the county clerk auditor, you were really known for being a champion of innovation and efficiency. You mentioned that you came in at a time where a lot needed to be improved. And so I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about some of the things you were able to accomplish that you're most proud of. And what helped you be able to tackle some of those really big challenges once you were elected? Yeah, absolutely. So I figured since we had to start over from the ground up and rebuild everything, we might as well do it the best we can. And really went out and I looked, what is cutting edge? What is innovative? What is efficient? I don't want to look at the way things have been done. I want to look at the way things should be done. And that really led me to be on the cutting edge and on the leading edge of of these things. But a few of the big ones is we implemented a completely online marriage license portal so that People that want to get married don't have to take a day off work to go down to a county building between 8.30 a.m. That's a big one. This was the first time that if we couldn't find another system like it anywhere in the world, we haven't heard of one. And so we really were the leading edge of saying, you know what, if, if you want to get married, you don't have to take a day off work to go to a government building. You can do that. So that's probably what I'm most proud of. In fact, our county just received a, a NACO, which is the National Association of Counties, and NACO achievement of Another one that saved the people in Utah County a ton of money and the people who worked at Utah County a ton of time is we put a docu sign. 
we were signing over a thousand contracts a year, and each contract required at least three wet ink signatures. We had people walking green county with paper and getting signatures, and we were paying them a full time wage and benefits to do that. It's just crazy to me. So we have to make a docu setting. We can get contracts done significantly more quickly now, and it saves a lot of time and a lot of money. I like that. And then just completely overhauling our election system and going from what the governor called the epicenter of dysfunction, the fault. Herbert was the Utah County Elections Office with the epicenter of dysfunction. We turned it from that to a national model that is now recognized as one of the model jurisdictions on running a successful vote by mail election. That's great. You mentioned that one of your mentors at Caterpillar had told you that you needed to get in, to fit in, and then redefine what it means to be in. I wanted to ask you how you've been able to apply that into these elected roles. You got in, um, we've talked about how you fit in, and I want to ask you how you're redefining what it means to be in. That's a great question. So, like I said, getting in is ready for this. Fitting in is learning everything I can. And that's key to it. it is learning everything I can about the office so that I, I know that what I'm doing or what I'm saying is grounded in fact. And then the way I'm redefining it is really I look at things differently because I come from a different perspective. My perspective is very unique than anyone else's. But one of the biggest perspectives that we can bring to women in public office, especially in Utah, is that we are unrepresented in Utah in public office. And Women bring a different perspective. It is recognizing that every person's perspective and point of view is brings validity to the argument, and all it does is help us find a better out. And so redefining in for me is making it normal to have a woman say, that's exactly what we need more of. What advice would you give to the women who may be listening to this interview and thinking that maybe they do have what it takes, maybe they don't? They're on the fence right now. What, what would you tell them to encourage them to jump in? The first thing I would say is you absolutely do have what it takes. God gave you gifts, God gave you talents. They may be different than mine, and that's okay. And in fact, that's good. You do have what it takes. Look for an area that you feel passionate about and that you think you can make a difference in, whether that's school board, the city council, the planning commission, mayor, circle editor, or a county commission. I can guarantee you that your skills and your abilities will help our community. That's perfect advice. I have one final question for you. Mm -hmm. In both your role as clerk auditor and now as a county commissioner, you were the first woman in Utah County to hold those roles. How does that feel to be the first? It's a huge honor to know that I've been the first woman to hold these positions and that I can pay for those that are going to come behind me. But one of the things that I'm relying on is the people that came before me. Utah County has some amazing women who play. Congresswoman Mia Love is from Utah County. Former Speaker of the House Becky Lockhart from Utah County. And our current Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson is from Utah County. Utah County has amazing women. And I just happen to be lucky enough to have the honor of being the first woman to serve as clerk auditor and first woman to serve as commissioner. But I pay the way for those who come me. But I stand on the shoulders of those who came. That's amazing. Thank you again so much for your time. I feel so inspired learning more about your story. And I hope that your story will also inspire others to run. So thank you so much. Great. Thank you. I loved the interview with Commissioner Gardner. I thought that was so fun to talk through her running and being elected as a county clerk. And then that transition to commissioner. I feel like we got a two for one. We did. And this one was a little unique because when we initially asked her to be part of this episode, 
she was the county clerk auditor. But by the time we actually did the interview, she had a new role. So it was great to be able to talk to her about both of those. It is also unique to talk to someone about how they decided to go from one elected office to the next. We don't always talk about that. And also that she was a professional woman with an influential role in a male-dominated company and how she pivoted from the private sector right into the public sector. And I really was surprised that nobody asked her before about that because it is remarkable that she's trailblazing not just in politics here in Utah, but she was already doing that in her professional life. There aren't a lot of women who work for Caterpillar at the level that she did. She had a really impressive background before even transitioning into politics. Yeah, and with my love of education, I'll either go one layer below, and that even as a university student to decide to study one of those fields is highly unusual in Utah. It sure is. That's a great point. Something that stood out to me from this interview that we can tie back to County Clerk Swanson is that both of them had experience working with their local parties. They were both involved as private citizens. I laughed when Commissioner Gardner was talking about the fact that she was calling people trying to find someone to run for this position. And she ended up being the right person to run for that office herself. Yeah, I thought that was it. really interesting how she had that moment of, oh, wait, it's me. <laughs> and I think we've heard that before, maybe from Mayor Jessup and Hildell, as you're recruiting others and you realize, wait, I have this skill set. I have what's needed. I can do this. It's another great example of the right partnership and the supportive family to make that jump, I thought was really powerful. I really appreciated hearing about some of the things she was most proud of having accomplished. And what stood out to me about some of those things is that they weren't necessarily like earth shattering things, but there were things that made a really big difference and changes that streamlined and made processes more efficient and really helped serve the people of Utah County. The takeaway for me from that is that you can make a really big difference with small changes. It doesn't have to be something monumental that that is the way you leave your work, the small changes you make. I believe part of her being able to adjust those levers as she got there was that recognizing her own skill set. What are the things I have the tools that I can go in and change? And she talked about when she gets the new job, like what that looks like at the beginning and that. You need to learn what you don't know. And I think going into any new opportunity or assignment and taking the time to listen and learn really allows you the freedom to do what you're talking about, Yandri, where she was able to make some pivots or adjust levers that don't seem great, big, earth-shattering, but at the same time are so impactful. Leave it to an engineer to bring some of those cutting-edge things into the county clerk's office. Yandri, I thought when she brought up what her boss, a female boss at Caterpillar said, get in, fit in, and redefine it. I haven't heard that, but I love it. And you can see how she's used that counsel throughout her career. Yes. And my goodness, that leaves so much room, not just for her to trailblaze or for us as women to find ways to trailblaze, but for also to bring more women into the fold, to bring more people to the table, that is just fantastic advice for any area of life. And I think it's also critical that you learn to do that as a woman in this arena. Your first obstacle is to get in. 
And then in order to stay and be sustainable, you have got to figure out how to fit in. And then the third step is once you've done the first and second step, how do you redefine it? How do you make it yours? And I thought in my own career, how valuable that pattern is for me. That reminds me of actually something from a different interview with Sheriff Rivera when she was talking about showing up to meetings and being prepared ahead of time and making comments that were insightful and bringing something to the table <laughs> as a way of figuring out how to fit in into that specific world. And that last one on redefining it, I think that's what we're fighting with all of the women we're interviewing. And they tell us like, what, what has been a female done in your body of work? What has it influenced? And you can see in her work, the things and her tone of what she's influencing as she makes this job hers with her skill sets and solves problem that she has been prepared and her life experience has prepared her to solve. And goodness, like I said before, I leave it to an engineer and a mother of six to figure out how to streamline processes <laughs> and make things more efficient, right? Yeah. Efficient with time and money, which most moms are always managing. And she celebrated that redefine it and says, my unique perspective and every woman listening or person listening or participating in our podcast, we all have this unique perspective and yet it's such valuable experience. Yandere, you talked to her a little bit of how would you encourage other women to run for office? And I love some of her thoughts about helping others to be successful, getting along with other groups. But I really liked when she said, you have what it takes. Just that confidence again, that you have what it takes. Find something you're interested in and figure out like how to get in. And that confidence often is so needed and it's missing for the women. I can't tell you the number of women who I would consider overqualified, but think that they have to wait a few more years before they can run for office when they're no more, much more qualified than anyone else in the field. Her statement at the end of the interview was so powerful as we get to the end of our podcast. And she was so humble in her expression of how grateful to be the first woman if you happen to be the first woman. But just to remember that we're all building on other amazing women and we're on their shoulders of those who came before us. And I think that was such a powerful statement to recognize that we all in our podcast and Real Women Run and in the state of Utah, we're just trying to build on our past for a brighter future. And we're doing that on the shoulders of others. It's true. I think a lot of women we've talked to this season, I think they feel that in a way that many elected officials don't because we've talked to a lot of women who have been the first, who are breaking ground in our state. And that's just a really important perspective to keep in mind. Yeah, I thought it was a great interview and I just was so impressed with Commissioner Gardner. Good job, Yandri. <laughs> Thanks, me too. I really enjoyed talking to her. She's an impressive woman. Thank you so much to Commissioner Gardner and Clerk Swenson for joining us today. And thanks to both of these women for their work improving elections in our state. Real Women Run is a nonpartisan volunteer initiative working hard to get women involved in the political process. If these conversations excite you, find us on Instagram. Our handle is at Real Women Run Utah. A big thanks to the Real Women Run Committee for their willingness to begin the work for this podcast during the height of the pandemic. And to our amazing podcast producer and editor, Madeline Mortensen.